Hi, I'm Georgina Terry. I'm the CEO and founder of Terry Precision Bicycles. And today I'm talking to Rocky Reifenstahl. Uh, hopefully that name means something to all of you because this guy is the master of long-distance riding and pretty extreme conditions in Alaska. Uh, he started riding uh, the Adida bike back in 1988. And right now he's preparing on February the 24th to do a 1,000-mile ride to Nome, Alaska, as part of the Iditarod Trail Invitational. Uh, he's also a geologist in Alaska. And I thought he would be really cool to talk to, no pun intended, just to find out about cold weather riding, staying warm, and that kind of thing. So thanks for doing this, Rocky. I really appreciate it. Oh, sure. My, my pleasure, Terry. You know, I read an article about you a long time ago. I dug it up a little while ago. It was published in Mountain Bike Magazine. And this had to have been in the late 1990s. Uh, the title of the article was Warm Thoughts and Alaska Masters Tips for Cold Weather Cycling Comfort. And as much as your tips for cycling comfort, I loved all the takes in here from poems by Robert Service about the Yukon. And, you know, it has to be just the sheer beauty of it that attracts you as much as the challenge, isn't it? Oh, yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, uh, doing a long race like this... Uh and having to do it uh, on the road or or something like that would, would wouldn't appeal to me uh, like being out in the wilderness appeals to me. So yeah, that that's a big part of it is the the beauty of the of the environment that we're going through. And uh, yeah, sometime but you never know what's going to happen. It could snow a lot and it could be very difficult and there's some pushing involved sometimes. But um, yeah, it's a, it's it's a gorgeous place uh, most of the time. Does it ever scare you? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think uh, I would just—I would just be a little bit worried. <laughs> right. I—I uh, mean, I, yeah, sure. I have. To, I mean, I—I'm to be honest. Yeah, it—it's uh, mm -hmm. intimidating. Uh, the thousand-mile race is—is is certainly intimidating to me. Um, you go from small native village to small native village, and uh, uh, there's one section that's almost 200 miles without any permanent settlements, and. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty intimidating. Um, do do you carry a cell phone or something in case of emergency? I mean, what do you do if something well, really bad happens? Yeah, I mean the cell phones don't work out in this country, but you could carry a satellite phone, and and that would work. Uh -huh. uh, but no, no, I don't. I don't carry one. I don't carry a GPS. I carry maps, and I carry a lot of other survival equipment. But uh, I'm pretty much out of contact with with people. And um, you just have to rely on your on yourself and your wits, and it, that's what makes it one of the ultimate challenges. There's not photo ops along the way where there's camera crews looking at you and stuff. Uh, you're pretty much on your own most of the time. What kind of uh, temperatures and weather do you expect to encounter on the 1,000-mile ride to Nome? Well, um, I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, it doesn't get a great deal below zero, uh, and a great deal above, say, 15 degrees. Now, is that above. centigrade or Fahrenheit? No, I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's Fahrenheit. <laughs> okay. But, um, but no, I have to plan on uh, 40 below, <clears throat> and then 30 below centigrade or Fahrenheit. Either way, that's the same same temperature because they cross at that temperature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or 40 above. It could be anywhere in there. And mm -hmm. again, that's. That's what makes it a real challenge is uh, you could actually get rained on um, 
or it could be 40 below, and that is very severe, and riding a bike is is very, very tough at that temperature. It's, uh, it's hard to make those things roll. Uh, do you have a problem with wind often on this course, or can it just go from uh, zero to 60? Or? No, the, the, the wind is uh, commonly bad as you go across the Alaska Range. Um, so it's one of the, you know, well, the highest mountain in North America, of course, is is not so far from where we go across the pass, but uh, it's it's almost always windy up in there and pretty uh, tenuous conditions there. Uh, and then once you get out on the coast, the west coast of Alaska, um, they commonly have bad winds and whiteouts there. And again, that's the uh, other really intimidating part of this thousand mile race for me is being out there. There's there's virtually no cover. You're uh, you're riding in some cases across pack ice, which is frozen ocean, mm-hmm. and there are like no a trees. Polar bear. Uh, well, yeah, not too many polar bears this that far south. Right. Uh, but but uh, nonetheless, the the wind and the the unknown out there is. You know that you had when you started mentioning pack ice, and then I thought of polar bears, and I thought of a show I watched on Nature last night. It's kind of an off-the-topic question, but as a geologist and having spent as much time as you do in Alaska, do you see any effects of global warming there? I oh, mean, with uh, respect to this race, has it affected oh, it over the years? I, well, I mean, I think that the the winters have been um, demonstrably uh, warmer um, here, and I mean that's substantiated by over 100 years of of you know weather gathering that uh, temperatures they've been doing in Alaska, but. Um, I mean, as far as this race goes, um, there might be um, a little warmer weather, but um, sometimes there's a little open water on some of the big rivers, um, even the Yukon River, which is will be gone some places where it will be as much as two miles wide. So got to keep your eye open for open water. Don't want to go in there. When you were talking about windy conditions, I was thinking about what it's like riding here in upstate New York in winter, which, of course, is nothing like it is there. You know, you get a 20-degree day here, and if the roads are dry and the sun's out and there's no wind, it's really very pleasant. But as soon as it gets cloudy and the wind comes up, it is, whoa, it really changes. So how do you dress for this when you're out there? Well, I I guess the biggest difference is that um, we, um, we ride on the trails, and so you don't get the severe constant wind chill um that you do on the road so i tend not to spend almost any time on on the roads on my mountain bike so i mean we ride on the roads in in the summer months but and the colder it gets uh just 10 days ago we had uh 40 45 and 50 below for seven days and let me tell you when it gets that cold um the bike doesn't want to move i have a you know one of the power ops uh, watt meters on there and mm-hmm. you're putting out more watts and you're going slower <laughs> so that's how, that's kind of how you stay warm i guess um and so the wind chill goes way down like you know in those circumstances and of course you know you've got pogies which your hands go inside of to shield you from the wind and and again being on the trails make, makes a huge difference, uh, but basically you want windproof fronted clothing and 
and breathable back. And uh, for multi-day or five, six-hour or longer rides, um, I'm really sold on uh, vapor barrier shirts. Hmm. Um, Describe are, those a little bit more, vapor barrier shirts. Well, people, a lot of people are familiar with them on their feet. In fact, some people will, uh, even roadies, will stick their feet in plastic uh, bags. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, and so um, the, what's happening there is, number one, you're keeping the wind off of you, and number two, um, you're stopping all evaporative cooling. So mm-hmm. your body perspires to cool, and when it does does sweat, then as it evaporates, you cool a lot. Well, a vapor barrier shirt is uh, a shirt that doesn't let any moisture out except that they at the wrists and at the waist and maybe out the out the neck and you can you can bend it with the zipper. So it's like but, wearing a plastic bag almost. Well, it's like wearing a plastic bag except it doesn't feel like a plastic bag because <laughs> because RBH designs makes a fabric that that has a nice hand to it. And so it feels far from a plastic bag. I mean, it feels reasonably comfortable given the fact that you're not uh, evaporating all that and, and and so the important part is when it's really cold, what happens is your body's sweating and you put off that moisture and you've got all these clothes on and pretty soon the your body's heat can't push that moisture away and wick it through the material and so it freezes partway through your clothing. Mm-hmm. And then after two, three, four, five hours, you're wearing this shield of ice in your clothing. And that's definitely not good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's that's what can happen. So the vapor barriers is definitely an interesting design for long-time uh, outdoor activities at, uh, at really cold temperatures. So like, let me make sure I understand this. So the vapor, it's not like Gore-Tex. I mean, Gore-Tex will let no. the vapor pass through. No. This holds it instead. Absolutely. But it works contrary to the idea of you don't want to be sitting in your own sweat because you'll freeze. Right. And right, because you can you only freeze from your own sweat when it's evaporatively cooling you. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it takes a little while to get used to, but um and and all of your insulation stays completely dry. Mhm. And and um that in the long run you get to wear a lot less clothing and um and you also, for long events, you use much, much less water. You have to take in less water because pretty soon your body is at a comfortable humidity mm-hmm. and stops sweating so much. So, I mean, I've used this for five races, 350-mile races out there now, and my brother's used it in his 100 or 300-mile races. My wife's skied 350 miles out there with this on. There's a lot of people using it. Wow, that's interesting. So this would come in the form of uh, tops, bottoms, everything? Yeah, tops, bottoms, socks. Yep. Wow, incredible. Yep. What do you wear on the outside then, if this is the inner stuff, or is it the outer stuff as well? No, this is the, no, this is the inner stuff. I yeah, wear, like the base layer. Yep, I wear almost, well, I essentially wear nothing underneath it uh, mm-hmm. on top. I just wear a little uh, cut-off turtleneck so that I have something to protect my neck and mm-hmm. chest if I zip down to my stomach if I'm wanting to cool uh, cool off. Um, and then I just wear a, 
a Bianchi winter jacket. They call it a winter jacket. Uh, <laughs> so I wear, you know, an extra large jacket. And that's um, essentially my only insulation. Then I use uh, Patagonia Dragonfly uh, jackets over top of that. And if I wear two of those tiny light Dragonfly jackets and that little insulation of a winter jacket, um, winter roadie jacket, so it can't be too serious. Uh, I'm good down to probably 20 below. Well, on your hands, you talked about the, uh, what do you call the things that go over the ends of the handlebars, the little, the little cozies? Pogies. Pogies. Do you wear gloves in addition to the pogies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You wear, um, you wear gloves. And then if it gets severely cold, you know, 20 below all day or much colder than that, then you also have, you keep mittens in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep your hands warm. And also, a lot of people, myself included, have gone to wearing latex gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, so you wear a latex glove as your base layer, and then you have no evaporative cooling on your hands. This mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal difference. It's, I mean, it sounds really weird. And <laughs> no, it's, it's obviously <laughs> field-tested. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's definitely tested. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, you pull your hand out to do something, and, and you don't get that rush of cold uh-huh. from the evaporation and uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah i mean even roadies could try it um in the in the winter because it's windproof and there's no evaporative cooling interesting how about your head what do you do there um that i use a oh you know a thin ball calava that's comfortable against my skin and then um depending on temperatures put another one on and then I have a a windproof uh, uh, balaclava that goes over that. It's an OR Gorilla thing, mm-hmm. uh, which velcros open so you can completely vent or it closes and then it has a thing that goes over your nose. Um, and this year I uh, this year I just had somebody take a, a second Gorilla mask and uh, balaclava, basically, and sew a wolf wolf ruff around it. So I'm down in this little hole, and so those things are unbelievable for wind. And also, your moisture catches on that stuff and then just falls right off. It doesn't ice up. Uh, Your head. Is there any room for a helmet with all this stuff on your head? Well, no, there's not, and and there's. Two ways to look at the safety issue there. One is if you run into a tree, which in many cases there aren't a lot of, but um, it would be a problem. But on the other hand, not having a helmet allows for a lot better temperature regulation and, and kind of a safety from from frostbite. So um, when I'm out on these, the, you know, the multi-day things, we're on trails and they're relatively safe. I mean, it's just a lot of snow. <laughs> so if you crash <laughs> out, basically you just auger into a bunch of snow. Um, and being able to adjust your, your heat from your head, which is so important, is is, is so much easier. But I don't, I don't condone riding around without a helmet. But right, the, right. But when I commute, you know, at these temperatures, I, yeah, I always wear a helmet, sure. Right. I mean, it it makes sense. I don't think anybody's going to hop on you for not wearing a helmet in this kind of situation because it really is a totally different kind of riding. Uh, well, sure, sure as heck, Norva or 
USCF doesn't want to have anything to do with this race. I can tell you that. So. Oh, really? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> what? What's the most memorable ride you ever had doing one of these? Is there any one ride or one event in a ride that just stands out? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's been a couple where it was a race down to the wire, if you can believe that, for a 100- or a 200-mile race. And, and it was just you know a race of attrition right to the finish. And, and having won a race once like that, you know, it's kind of meaningful because you were able to keep it together under pretty high intensity and that was that was just a hundred mile race when they used to do a hundred mile version of this um but i i guess the most well there are two that were really stand out and one is i i did the 350 mile race one year in 2000 after winning the 100 mile bike race and the next weekend was a 350 mile race and i did that with my brother on foot and so we pulled sleds and and walked uh, 350 miles <laughs> across wow. the Alaska Range, and you know we won the race and didn't set a record because of the we had a bunch of 16 inches of new snow. But um, doing that with my brother and I've done many many trips, thousands of miles of trips with him, uh, meant a great deal to me. And um, he had to wait for me because <laughs> I was kind of the biking guy and he's the hike and climbing guy. So, and I guess the other one was I learned a lot about myself and about a lot of things when I was just having problems digesting and wasn't couldn't eat, couldn't drink. It was well below zero on the north side of the Alaska Range, and I was completely shattered. And stopped to build a fire and built the fire next to the trail. I mean, there's nobody. I mean, you're just not going to see anybody. And I just got very distraught and very tired and uh, kind of gave up. And uh, I just laid down. I didn't care anymore. And that was kind of a sad time because I'd like to be able to say, well, it wasn't a very macho time. I mean, I'm not trying to be macho, but I mean, you know, you just, wow, I just gave up. And uh, But I didn't die, so... Um, I get to tell a story, but uh, I learned a lot about myself, and I've always said about this race that you you learn more about yourself, about where you are in the world in this race, in these several days, than you do the entire rest of the year, because you really are finding out a lot of things about yourself, and, and quite often you don't like what you find when you get completely fatigued and, and you look deep inside yourself and uh, so you learn a lot about yourself so I think that's very meaningful for me when, when did that happen what year was that um I don't know honestly what year it was it was probably <laughs> in probably 1998 I think well the fact that you keep coming back and doing these must mean it well, wasn't too devastating <laughs> well no I mean I I like I said, I kind of psychologically, and more psychologically really than physically, I just gave up. And, um, you know, I, you just have to realize that your your mind can make your body do a lot of things that you never thought uh, that you were capable of. And, and it's kind of those things that, uh, I mean, people run marathons because they, they never thought they could do it. And, 
this is kind of just a stretch from that. I mean, I've lived in Fairbanks for 30 years, and what the heck, I might as well do their big human-powered race, right? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, I think a lot of people are going to wonder, what do you eat on one of these rides? Well, the general rules about what to eat are, are, number one, you eat anything that's not nailed down and that uh, they can't kill you first. So basically you eat anything that goes down and stays down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, stay hydrated, but uh, you eat a fairly fat, rich diet. Um, like what would you or- take with you on the bike? Well, I'd take uh, various chocolates, uh, like a, a mixture of, of fatty pretzels, uh, chocolate, maybe M&M's, um, nuts, so you put those all together and you end up with a, a fat content probably around 50%. Um, I eat uh, goo, which is, of course, <laughs> zero fat. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, yeah, but I, mean, but I mean, you're mixing all these things. Um, you, t- you need to take a variety of stuff because you get tired of eating. I mean, quite honestly, you get out there. I mean, you know, when you're hanging around the home and stuff, you know, you're like, God, you know, I could eat anything, and and then quite commonly eat too much. But out there, you know, you just get tired of eating. And I try to eat a minimum of 200 calories an hour, and and I'd love to eat 400 calories an hour. But after a while, your body just gets gets tired of processing all that. I guess. I mean, the people who do really well at this race are people who can who can just blithely eat 400 calories an hour, hour after hour. So candy bars, nuts, um, can't, I mean, sandwiches, you can't, you know, you can't carry enough of those, really, and they kind of freeze up. Um, I actually cook up, prior to the race, bacon. I mean, stuff that I wouldn't normally even eat. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, yeah. Uh, my wife is big on sausage and uh, uh, fruit cake that she makes it's fairly dense and doesn't freeze because it's got alcohol in it i can't believe she does that <laughs> she just keeps 350 miles and beat most of the guys so <laughs> she beat all the guys in fact um how about what what do you drink oh uh, what doesn't freeze <laughs> in the water bottle? yeah well you you wear you know you wear um hydration pack on your back mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um try to keep the tube from freezing that's that's always important um and uh so you have to be judicious about uh, keeping water out of the line as it comes over your shoulder because it will just freeze right away um i usually put either an electrolyte solution or um noon makes this electrolyte tablets or i use goo2o um, so i get some calories out of that uh so that's pretty, and then you know, if I stop at the checkpoint, uh, I'd, I'd suck sodas down big time. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, again, I don't, I don't drink sodas, you know, but uh, you know, you just suck one of those down in about five seconds, and you got yourself 150 calories. <laughs> you know, the person I interviewed before I interviewed you talked a lot about the difference between cycling to eat and eating to cycle. And I think we're getting into that right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. When when the ride is finally over, I mean, at the end of a 1,000 miles, 
what do you want to do first? Is it just crash or? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty much crash. Uh -huh. Yeah. When you when you get done with the 350 mile race, which of course, see, I'll I'll be going at a slightly lower intensity here. I'm not even going to contest the 350 mile race because that that can be pretty intense. I mean, last year. 350 miles, I don't know what it was, four and a half days or something, and I slept less than five hours. And, uh, you know, that's pretty intense. And uh, it makes for good hallucinations, though. Um, but, yeah, when you're done, yeah, you just want to, you know, jump off your bike, let it roll, and hope that you never see it again. Uh, kind of. And, um, yeah, you just, you just want to lay down, put your legs up, and... Uh, and pass out, uh, and it takes a while to come back down to earth, and until you really feel like eating a regular diet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's quite the exhilaration to finally get get finished and realize you've accomplished uh, something. Well, it sounds amazing. It sounds absolutely amazing. Just reading about it, looking at some of the photos you sent, I feel a chill. <laughs> coming right no. down my spine and I'm not even there. <laughs> well, this this year I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to record the entire race on a on a Cyclops uh, power oh, power tap. And um you know, they're making special arrangements so that I'll have enough uh CPUs to uh, central processing units on mm -hmm. the handlebars because they only can store 30 hours at the moment there making a new model, but so we'll figure out how many kilowatts uh, I've put out over these days. <laughs> wow. Kind of an, now that's going to be. Hopefully, you'll post that on the website when you get. Oh there. yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll get that out there. Could be that should be fantastic. Yeah, the, um, and there'll be some some information I'll be calling into my my website, which is Arctic Recreation. Dot com, which is A-R-C-T-I-C, recreation.com. Yeah, we've got uh, a link to it right here on our oh, website you do? so people can yeah. get there. Yeah. And uh, um, I guess one of the reasons we're doing this interview is because you and I have been doing some kind of business together for a few years. And, right. Uh, and uh, i happy to say I'll be riding your fly tie again. And, uh, All right. It's a lot of time in the saddle, and I wanted a comfortable one, so that that one's working out pretty well. Thanks, I appreciate that. I'm yeah. glad we can be a part of it. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, that's something that keeps me going is all the people who are supporting me on this ride. Um, well, I think we all feel like we're kind of vicariously a part of it, so that makes it all the better. Well, Rocky, I think that's about it. I can't think of anything else I'd like to ask you unless there's something you'd like to tell me about uh, no I mean I guess I guess what I do is a little more extreme than than what maybe most people do but living in Fairbanks kind of breeds those kind of <laughs> marginalized or marginal people um, but you know riding is is riding and everybody the important thing is that you know I've got bumper sticker on the car that I drive maybe once every couple weeks and says and uh as I ride a bike this is which equals one less car. So um biking has just been my love for twenty five years and and 
now I'll, I'll just keep doing it as long as I can. Oh, that's great. I think uh, one of these uh, Robert Service poems may kind of describe you a little bit, too. Uh, he has one. He says it's the winter, and he concludes by saying, the stillness, the moonlight, the mystery, I bade him goodbye, but I can't. <laughs> and when yeah. I think of you riding all these rides again and again, <laughs> I don't think you're ever going to bid this goodbye. <laughs> well, most years when I get done, I, I, I've been known, my wife keeps telling me, she says, every time you finish it, you say you're never going to do it again. And then it's probably about three weeks, and I start planning for next year. <laughs> I think we but all know anyway, that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Georgina, I'll be... I'll be out there, and you send me your warm thoughts over the next couple of weeks. I'm I'm planning on I'm planning on 21 days out there. I hope to wow. be riding riding my bike at least 18 hours a day. Wow! Um, and um, if I can do it in less, that would be great. But um, so I'm not disappointed. I'm just going to say three weeks. Well, we'll all be thinking about you. That's for sure. <laughs> and best of luck. Okay, and thank you. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. Uh, Take nice care, Rocky. Thank you, Georgina. Okay. Thanks. <laughs>